Father, as we reflect on your words, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please sit down. Lots of uh, famous people who've uh, passed from this life into the next. Uh, Often uh, it's recorded what they say before they die. Jane Austen was recorded as saying, I want nothing but death. It's probably a bit pessimistic, but probably reflects some of her uh, writing. George Orwell's last written words were, at 50, everyone deserves the face, everyone has the face he deserves. George Orwell died at the age 46. Leonardo da Vinci was overly modest, saying, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have even though he's one of the greatest artists to ever have lived. And then finally, I don't know whether you know, you know who said just before he died, I'm bored with it all. I'm bored with it all. That was Winston Churchill. Well, that may be the experience of some of us at church this morning. I'm bored with it all. Uh, but today, in our reading, what we had were the final words of Jesus as he left his disciples and left the world behind. The context of this reading is he's, uh, he's, he's died and he's come back to life again miraculously. Uh, and then he's told his disciples to meet him on uh, a particular mountain. Wait for him until he sees them. And, uh, and that's the setting for our reading today, meeting them on this mountain. Now for the benefit of those who've uh, not been for, to church for the past few weeks, we've been looking over the last five weeks at a series looking at our own discipleship. So how can we best follow in the footsteps of the early disciples and do the things that Jesus asks us to do today, to continue to be uh, his disciples. And this is our final week at looking at it. And uh, so we've come to the final words of Jesus before he leaves his disciples behind. And that is called, as Heidi said, it's called the Great Commission. Jesus sending out his disciples. And his instructions are to go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, you need to baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then teach them uh, to obey the commands that I've left you with. And today, with Ivy and Ava's baptism, we've got a great illustration of these words which Jesus left for us. If you were an alien and uh, you landed in our service today, and you saw, you witnessed the christening which we're about to do in a moment, you could be forgiven for thinking that we were a bit mad. We've taken two beautiful new babies, Ivy and Ava. But as we pray for them and thank God for their safe arrival into the world and pray for their future Christian life, we talk about dying and rising to new birth. But surely that can't be a good thing to talk about uh, with two new babies, talking about dying. But maybe some of us, as we hear those words, will think the same thing. But that's exactly what we talk about when we come to a baptism service. And I don't think for a moment that we are mad. See, in baptism, we are reminded that we're buried with Christ in his death, but also raised to new life in his resurrection. The font at the back, which we'll gather around in a moment, which does look a little bit like a spaceship, is both a tomb and a womb. A tomb because in it we are buried with Christ. We put off our old self. We die to our old self. And then a womb because we're brought miraculously to new life as we're born again into new life with Christ. But of course, Ivy and Ava 
can't do this on their own. They can't do it for themselves. They need the help of parents and godparents, as they do for many things in their lives. And parents and godparents, you are making some huge decisions uh, for these girls this morning. But fear not, because these promises that you're about to make um, are promises, huge promises, as I said, but they're not promises you have to do alone. They're promises to renounce evil, to turn from sin, and promises to submit to Christ as Lord, and then turn to Christ as Saviour. They are big decisions. But be assured that Jesus, our Saviour, goes with us and helps us in making those decisions. And in making disciples, we're also instructed, we're instructed to baptise, we're also instructed to teach. So as well as making promises on behalf of Ivy and Ava this morning, you're also taking on responsibility for teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That's why in this church we make a point of presenting the children that we baptise with a Bible. And when we offer the Bible, we, we say these words, receive this book, it is the book of life. We believe that in the Bible it contains all the words that we need uh, for a good, full life in Christ Jesus. There's also a reminder, though, which is a reassurance, I think, in our reading today, that we don't have to be perfect. So parents and godparents, although this is a huge task that you're taking on today, you don't have to be perfect. See, I think there's a perception in the wider society that those who go to church are people who've either got it sorted or people who or think may, may be perfect, but think, maybe think that they're perfect. And that church isn't for people outside the church who perhaps haven't got it sorted. Perhaps their life isn't quite as sorted as they want it to be. But you know what? Those of us who gather in church week by week haven't got it all sorted. We are just a group of people who know that we've got it wrong. And we gather together because we've discovered a God who, despite what we do, and despite how we act, still loves and cares for us. In our reading today, even though this is, as I've said, the last part of the Gospel, this is what you might call one of Jesus' grand moments with his disciples, going out with a bang. It should be the perfect Hollywood moment. They've waited for him, and they're waiting for their last instructions. This should be Jesus' pinnacle moment. But there's a simple line in our reading, which you may have missed this morning, that shows his disciples, even though they've been with him from day one, even though they'd seen him raise the dead, they'd seen him do amazing miracles and heard some fantastic teaching, there's a line in our reading today that says this, but some doubted, but some of them doubted. This is the risen Jesus, the Son of God who healed the sick and raised the dead, but also the one whom they saw crucified and buried But then they'd seen miraculously come back to life and spent time with this risen Jesus. And despite all that, despite witnessing all those amazing things, some of them, it said, still doubted. And I think the Bible records that uh, because it's showing that we don't have to be perfect uh, to follow God. We don't have to be perfect to be his disciples. So parents and godparents, when you make these promises, they may sound awesome. Uh, But remember, you don't have to be perfect to do it. Just come before God and ask for his help. Because that's another promise that's in our reading today, right at the very end. The promise that Jesus will be with us always, even to the very end of the age. All we need to do for Jesus to be with us is to ask him, just to pray to him and ask him to be with us.
And that's certainly what we'll be doing for Ivy and Ava this morning. Praying that Jesus will be with them all through their lives, right to the very end of the age. For this uh, instruction of Jesus to send, out, uh, to send out his disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations, is one that we as a church need to take seriously. We need to hear Jesus' words. And there's a story I want to tell us as a kind of warning against not uh, telling other people about Jesus. And it's about, um, uh, well, I'll just tell the story. It's about a life-saving station. You may have heard it before. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area, also wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration And there was a symbolic lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. And some of them had black skin and some had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out they were still called to be a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, then they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that sea coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Life-saving station story is a metaphor, I think, for the church. If we just remain within our own four walls and never obey Jesus' instructions in the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of other people, to teach other people about the words of Jesus, then we just become a club. And eventually, uh, we will have to close our doors because no new members uh, will join us. Let that metaphor be a challenge to us all. Not a criticism, 
but a challenge. The famous last words of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he taught us. So as we draw this discipleship series and this sermon to a close, let's be a church and a community of people that is willing to obey Jesus' words, not just these, the whole of Jesus' words, but particularly this morning, we're reminded to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's be spurred on in our faith uh, to follow Jesus' instructions. Amen.